So we are here today and we're doing kind of an AMA with Sabrina Macias and Audrey Poncio. Both have been in PR for a while and have experienced what it is to be a woman in the industry, not only from a multicultural perspective of being like Hispanic or from Argentina, like Sabrina, but also just a woman and how the difficulties, the successes, how it is every day and how you battle the trials and tribulations that come to you. So uh, can, it, can you, Sabrina, give us like a background of how you started in PR? Sure. Um, I guess I moved to New York when I was 23. Um, well, actually, even a step before that, yeah. I went to school in Toronto. Um, I studied mass communications and mm -hmm. journalism with a Spanish minor because um, I thought the Spanish would be easy, which it wasn't. Uh, I spent a lot of time reading a lot of Spanish history books. Um, so I, uh, I had I learned an appreciation for the language for sure. Um, and uh, I, throughout that time, I had traveled to New York a couple of times and really loved, fell in love with the city and felt like, wow, I definitely need to be there at some point in my life. I was living in Toronto at the time or a small town named Brampton. Brampton in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I, I went to a music festival in um, Miami one time and I met a bunch of record producers at the time, the Latin music industry was really popular in the US. And um, I met somebody that was a CEO of or owner of a record label that was distributed by Sony. Um, and he was looking for a director of public relations. Um, in Toronto, I had done a lot of entrepreneurial things um, in kind of journalism, because that's what I was trying to do initially. Uh, but then when I had the opportunity to move to, to New York, he um, said, I'm looking for a director of public relations. We have X amount of artists and like, you'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, it was pre 9-11. So uh, all I had to do was, you know, pack up my stuff, cross the border. And at the border, I applied for like a visa, a random oh, wow. visa. Um, so I didn't know like when I got to the border if they would actually give me the visa and yeah. I would be able to cross but I had like all the you know you had to have like a package of like letters of recommendation and those kinds of things so I kind of packed up I told my parents uh, like I got the job offer I, I drove to Toronto to New York and came in for the interview and on the way home like when I was driving back to New Toronto I got the job offer uh -huh. um, and so I got home he wanted me to start right away and um i think he, i got like three weeks or something to move to uh, new york and so i had told my mom like okay well i'm gonna try and get this visa i'm gonna go drive to the border if i if i get the visa i'm yeah. going if i if not you'll see me back in like an hour <laughs> you know um so i had like this little jeep wrangler and how old were you i was 23 two I think oh wow um I had one of those Suzuki sidekicks like standard yeah um and so I packed it up with like mostly just my computer and my clothes really and I had a cousin that lived in like Elizabeth New Jersey and so I told him like hey I'm gonna come and stay on your couch for a little bit until I work figure out the work thing yeah. and then eventually when I get enough money I'll just move out you know so I got to the border I randomly got this visa which now would be absolutely impossible but I got lucky and it happened um, yeah, and then I moved to New York and I moved in with my cousin who was actually an illegal immigrant. Wow. Um, so he had uh, come to Elizabeth, New Jersey from Uruguay. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a big population of Uruguayans in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Who knows why? But um, I, I stayed on his couch for what ended up being three months. So wow. that was a long time. But 
Anyway, so I started working at this record label, and I was the director of public relations. Um, I didn't really know anybody in New York or actually in the U.S. at all, but um, they had this program. I'm trying to remember the name. Um, It was like a contact program where you input people's contacts into the computer. This Mm -hmm. is like fax machine time. (laughs) And you input people's contacts into the computer and then it would print out almost like a, like what now version of a, like um, your your calendar kind of looks like. So it would be like all the contacts, whatever. So everything we did was via fax. So we would have to, um, you know, print out the contacts and then put a cover page on every contact and then fax like a press release let's say yeah yeah um so i literally and i'm laughing because audrey used to tell us when we were at edelman like many years later that she used to come in early and do the the fax clips the clips you know how you do clipping reports so we used to have to do the clipping reports on the fax machine so like we had to cut the newspaper get all that stuff yeah we can't screenshot it anymore (laughs) screenshot you can't even google search like you literally had to go buy the newspapers and get monitor physical monitoring physical monitoring so i would stand at the fax machine for probably like an hour because this is like hundreds of contacts that we would send out and um but at that time we just started using email yeah so it was kind of a transition between like the fax and the email but nobody had like email distro lists or anything like that you know it was kind of like you used email just to kind of a little bit communicate but everything else was done via fax machine even like when we sent out our creative Mm -hmm. to get approved we would like fax it to the creative person. They would fax it back to us, and then we would mark it up and then and fax send it, it back, back to them. Yeah, yeah. it's oh crazy. And then you God. had to stand in front of the fax machine, like waiting for all this transaction to happen. <laughs> Making sure it had paper. Yeah, and color. Like sometimes you needed in color, color, but then the fax machine was never in color. It's black and white. So then they had to write the name. Like so, this is you know cobalt blue or you oh know Pantone colors. So oh they'd ha- they'd say it's like Pantone color number three two one. You know, and then you'd have to go look wow. at the Pantone color and make sure that those were the right colors because it's like a logo yeah. or something, you know. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the the uh, CEO of the company and owner at the time, um, he was kind of going through some things as well. And he kind of, it was weird. It was a period where he was like, I, he went through some really personal things and he was like, go, like, do whatever you need to do with these guys, you yeah. know. And so I was 22 and I had like seven artists, music artists that I, like that were under my purview. Um, so in, in addition to public relations, I also like managed their photo shoots and managed their tours and sometimes accepted money for their tours. And, and don't you think that's like a like that hasn't changed, right? Like, do you think like PR nowadays is still the same? Like, it's not just PR. Right. I think it's like it evolves. Exactly. You you realize that PR is everything. Yeah. You know? I think it's anything people are asking for. Like, exactly. naturally, you're going to say yes and you're going to figure out how to fill the gap. Well, but it also reflects the brand, right? Because mm-hmm. then I would be like, no, I want this is the, the person that I want you to be. You're an yeah. artist. So I want your photos to look like this. I want your outfits to look like this. I want your video shoot to look like this. The models, the casting, everything kind of comes back full circle when you're talking about PR. And I think now, you know, fast forward 20 years later, 21 years later, it's the same thing with like social media mm-hmm. and your, your like personal brand, your personal brand, like everybody, you know, you're taking care of that in a different way, but same idea. Yeah. Um, and so I think all, like all, along PR has always been that to, to me um, and I think we've been able to apply it across the board as as clients give you you know tasks and ideas or as you become more creative yeah um, 
so I had these artists and I you know it was um, the music business is all man, men mm-hmm. um, at the time it was you know kind and of how sleazy. was that yeah it was it was very sleazy and I say sleazy not in like a female kind of sleazy way but it was sleazy and like a dirty grimy kind of like I remember my first meeting I was I uh, remember I'm from Toronto, Toronto like Canada yeah. like you know no it's bad like, things happen in Canada it's rainbows and unicorns <laughs> yeah it's lovely and um my the pr- president is like okay you need to meet us at this you know at this place it's called Sue's Rendezvous and I was like okay sure like where is it it's in the Bronx <laughs> blah, blah, blah. okay fine we're meeting like this person and this person like uh-huh. that's what they did so I get to Sue's Rendezvous and I like see outside there's like a pink lady like on a pole. Oh, yes, yeah. And I'm like, this is weird. Like what? Are, like, OK, but I thought it was like a really fancy restaurant. restaurant. Yeah. So I go in and yep, lo and behold, it's a strip joint, <laughs> wow. you know, and I'm like, OK, I have two choices. I can freak out and like make him feel like he totally got me and like made me uncomfortable or I can just own it and just walk in and be like, yep, yeah, I'm in a strip club. What do you guys want to talk about? Let's like get the business over with, you know? Yeah. So I took a deep breath. I wanted to cry, but I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, because I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, oh my God, if my mom knew that I moved to New York to go to strip clubs for meetings, I, you know, it'd be really bad. Yeah. Um, so I just went in and I had the meeting and there was girls naked all over me. And I just, you know, did the business that I was there to do. I got the information that I needed for my artists. We were, we were about to launch like a new artist, you know, record. Um, and that's kind of how everybody did their business. Like they went to strip clubs, they went to concerts, they went to like clubs at the time in New York. It was like the big thing to go to nightclubs. And um, so I kind of just rolled with it and I didn't let it bother me. And I feel like, uh, you know, at the time it was probably a little bit intimidating. But at the same time, I do feel like a lot of the experience that I got from going through all of those things um, has definitely made me you know, prepared me for like what I went through later in life. And just, I mean, I, you know, I work at DraftKings and we spent the last two years in like, you know, kind of crisis mode. Mm -hmm. Um, And I always constantly look back to that time and feel like, wow, if I hadn't have experienced this 10 times over, like I probably wouldn't have been able to manage the situation you know, this yeah. year or yeah. last year as I would have um, if I hadn't have done that. So I'm, I'm very grateful for like all of those opportunities. And I think every one of them has been a learning experience for sure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you kind of just run with it. And I think especially as a woman, you feel like there's all these additional challenges. And my biggest, you know, kind of success um, tactic for me in, term, in in those situations is just to kind of level up and like be mature and take it in and not let it phase you even if you are phased by it and you deal with it at home or somewhere else but just never in the face of the situation that you're in um I feel like that really helps them kind of okay like I'm not phased by it are you phased by it no all right let's do what we need to do you know and keep it moving um I think that's definitely been like a major learning experience for me is just like not to you know always have your game face on especially in PR right like Mm -hmm. people could say really crazy things or really crazy things can happen when you go through crisis and I think you always just have to take a deep breath and figure out that like okay like how do we solve this like let's not worry about what's happening let's worry about like how are we going to solve it how are we going to get to the next place um 
So that was just one year. (laughs) Wow. And then, um, yeah, it was crazy. It was a really crazy environment. Lots of crazy things happened. It was also a time where radio stations were being paid to play artists. So I was involved in all of that scandal stuff as well. And then finally one day... I got fed up with my boss at the time and I was like, I'm leaving, I'm done. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no idea. Like, I didn't have anything. I just quit. Um, And you were single at this point. Yeah, single single, by myself. Yep. Still living in... No, actually, I had my own apartment then. But I was totally living on, like, the McDonald's, like, value to pay off. No, like, the dollar, like, dollar, 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 you know? At the time, it was, like, $3 for lunch. Eight carbs. (laughs) (laughs) Early Um, 20s. Yeah. And then, um, and the most random thing happened, I sent an email. So at the time, I had one thing that I did to start doing with the company is creating an email list. Uh So I I transferred everybody that we had in these like printed out contacts to email. And instead of just emailing one person, I started blasting people with like, these are the concerts we're doing. These are the press releases. And so I started to build like a community of people that are expecting to get emails from me. Um, And the list grew and grew and grew to like a couple hundred, like a couple hundred. And then it got to like a thousand people because we were doing national. Um, And so the day that I quit, the one thing that I did was take like a flop disc to save it all of all of my contacts that's my biggest regret every single job is that i don't save my work no yeah take it all with you so i took my contacts and i took all of my um clips press clips which were actual clips at the time wow um and uh the next day i got home like i was at home and i'm like oh my god what am i gonna do i have no job you know and so i emailed that same contact list i blasted everybody and i said i'm no longer at you know the record label Mm -hmm. and i'm looking for you know work if anyone needs anything in the pr like creative advertising marketing i listed like a whole bunch of things that i could do by then let me know and then maybe in like 15 minutes I got like three people that had emailed me about like oh come do this come and do this come and do this and it was just from networking and like having done all of these things for the record label you know one thing it allowed me to do is just meet a lot of people Mm -hmm. like a lot of people in, in a variety of different ways and I another key lesson for me is that like you never know in life when something's going to come full circle. Yeah. And so I feel like you have to work with everybody as if at some point they could be your with boss, us. you know? Mm-hmm. That's so true. Um, and so a lot of people that I just crossed paths with or, um, you know, you know, worked with in passing, but for very short projects like Audrey, like I made sure that I did my very best and I kind of went up and, up, you know, over and above the amount of work that was asked of me so that at least I would remember and I would leave some sort of an impact okay. if I needed yeah. to go back, you know, and it did help me when I sent out that blast and I said, like, I don't have a job. Mm-hmm. Um, so it probably in a week, I already had like three jobs, like three freelance types of jobs. And I was doing freelance for a little while. But because of the whole like, in America, like the healthcare system and all that, like I didn't have insurance or all yeah. that when I was doing freelancing. So I really was looking for like a like a more serious job or like at least like a full-time job Mm -hmm. and so I started working at Uniworld which is like an African-American at the time it was like African-American marketing and advertising and I think they did PR too but um, I was like the only PR person they had Mm -hmm. Um, and but um, it was like a really big time for like Puffy and all of these like hip-hop artists and so I think there was like a partnership between Uniworld and like that music space and so they wanted someone who had done the music space but could do like African-American and Hispanic so I really learned a lot about African-American marketing in that space and like church groups and the importance of the community building and 
like I went to the million dollar a million man march I went to like every single wow. African American event that there was and I really learned that you know community is community is community is community so the nuances that you take in from Hispanic and that you think you know you're working in this Hispanic space are the same sensitivities and nuances that can be applied to African American to yeah. LGBT to Asian I mean it, they each have their own specifics but yeah. at the end of the day if you're sensitive to that you're able to adapt and create programs and communication tactics that really resonate with a variety of diverse audiences um and so I really like really fell in love with like that space just mm-hmm. the multicultural as a whole and then from there it was like you know headhunter calls you you go to another firm and I started doing more corporate type work um with like a real like PR agency yeah. and I went into like the agency side and then I realized wow like they pay they pay really well <laughs> you know I was making I was like struggling to you know to get by and then all of a sudden the agencies are offering you pretty good salaries um and you know you have a team of people you have clients and back then what was the salary so my first agency salary was forty five thousand dollars and I thought that was a lot like I was like wow this is amazing I could totally and what position was that it was an AE. AE, account executive. You're, you got paid 45000 Yeah. Is that My bad first, or good? Well, good. I was a AAE, 22000 Oh, wow. Yeah, but I, yeah. Wow. For my first agency job was an AE at forty-five. Right, let's be Sabrina. I know. Well, New York also pays <laughs> That's better. That's New York. It's New York. New York. Pays better. Yeah. I mean, you can Because do the cost of living, like the, yeah, cost the cost of living, of living is, is so high. Is a lot. Like, I had to live in New Jersey because I couldn't afford New York. Um, and I would travel back and forth from New Jersey. And I remember it took me, like, the train schedule was odd. So, like, I would work until, like, let's say 10 o'clock at night. I would literally take the train home. It would take me an hour. I'd get home at midnight. And I, all I would do is get up and go yeah. back and do the exact same thing, back and forth, back and forth from the city. Um, yeah, and then I guess after I left, and then I was at this place called DeVries Public Relations. It was an independent firm at the time, but it was all uh, beauty products. Mm-hmm. Like, all they did was beauty um, and I think the th- crazy thing about beauty PR back then, I don't know if it's still the way that way now, but it was v- in New York, it was very cutthroat. Like everybody wanted to be in vogue and in glamour and, you know, all of these big glossy page long yeah. lead books. And so when you had a client in beauty, you were constantly, all you did was pitch, 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 pitch. And there was 70 publications that you could go after in the day so we would sit in pitch meetings and the you know director of the account would be like who did you speak to today what did they say and you literally had to go through your pitching list and say like I spoke to x person at Vogue she hung up on me five times we'll call her back like you know I spoke to this person at Glamour she said she doesn't want anything to do with the brand you know like and it was constantly trying to be creative and figure out like how do you get to these like beauty directors at the time is who are beauty and fashion and how um, do you and so what I what we did was just you, we tried to be creative and creative and creative and, and like doesn't work try again try yeah. again and try again um and I think I, I also when I was at the record label I took a lot of notes about people like I felt like if you connected with someone on, on a, a personal, personal level yeah it was much harder for them to like hang up the phone or tell you they're not going to write the story or say something bad yeah. and now it's easier nowadays I feel like because everybody has a social account yeah so you can, you can see really like, stop okay them. they're going on vacation yep. I can't contact them now or right. they're they love their kids let me ask them about their kids exactly yeah. exactly so at the time I would make well like then I start when I started to to move up I would make my team have like our pitch 
um, calendars with notes in it. Like, mm-hmm. who spoke to them last? What did they say? Anything you could grab about their personal life if they said their kid was sick or if they said they were doing something. Like, we took notes of all of those yeah. things. And so then the next time you talk to them, it was personal and more personal. And then you start to build these relationships and then it's much easier to get whatever you want done, you know? Um, and I feel like in the beauty, that's when... I guess like blogging started and people started um, kind of doing their own thing on the digital space too. So you had like, it wasn't as hard to get on the glossies because there was, the space was starting to expand much more beyond that. Um, And then it was kind of like, okay, how do you figure out who's an influencer and who's not? Like there was no, there was not really any like Instagram or any kind of social, but there was like blogging. I remember that was like the first thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So you had to like try to find people's blogs and then, but there was no way to measure like if they were really big or not. Big or not. So you kind of had to feel it out and see who else read their blog. And like it was a lot of research. come in? Like did you ever use Scission or no? Um, I used Scission when we were at Edelman. Um, but not yeah, and really. before Scission, there was um, Burrell's. Oh, Burrell's Loose. Oh, yeah, Loose. Yeah. That. Oh my God, we used to get. <laughs> do you remember that? Yeah, so we big used to books. get a big uh, envelope. Every I've heard of, yeah, yeah, every yeah. day yeah. we get an envelope in the mail. But they also had huge books that oh. basically had media contacts. And you had to go. Oh, in, the books for the contacts. Yeah, yes, find, yes, yes. Find the contact and then see. And they had the circulation and the audience. And that's how you found yeah, assignments like editors or is the directory. Like a big But then it was always outdated because by yeah. the time they printed, printed it, it changed. people had moved. Yeah. So but you guys wouldn't clips. receive it monthly or weekly. It was, no, like it was a, a yearly. yearly. <gasps> it was a yearly. Yeah, like wow. a directory, which is like so outdated. But even the clips we would get I remember we would get them in an envelope and then they would like you open them and dump They'd them on fall your out. dump them on your desk and then all you'd have all of these clips and you have to go through them and some of them were just like it was like a I guess it was like a person reading so they would highlight yeah. the word mm-hmm. but then sometimes it was just happened to be the word but it wasn't really your product with yeah. brand. so you had to actually read through every clip and there would be like mounds of newspaper like there's no control paste find it. Yeah. You had no. to paste it and then create a clipbook. Yes. Like from those clips, you'd have to read and monitor it, paste it, and then create a clipbook. So now, like hearing you guys, like all the work that, all the details oh, so work that work. you had to do. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. And then you guys work with us, right? And then we're classified as a millennials. And then you're mm-hmm. just like, dude, you have this, all this stuff in your hands. Yeah. Like, why are you asking me this, these questions? Like, I kind of, I kind of get that, you know? It's like that yeah. frustration of like, we didn't have this, you have this, like, now be more resourceful yeah yeah well and it's it's like you know it's so funny because when you're talking about it it sounds like we're from the god knows what time but it was it was 15 years ago not you know yeah and and so if i feel like you're abnormally i mean i feel like we're both intense and that's why we like each other is because we get the levels of intensity and, and we are intense about different things but if there's a patience factor that you feel may be missing from, you know, for those that are listening from your your bosses or your, you know, leadership, it's because, you know, the dues that we pay to get just the basics done, like yeah. let alone the promotions or the pats on the back or the new clients, but just to get the basics done. And I think this is probably true for any industry. Technology's advanced so much and made so much more available. The expectation on our end is that it would be faster. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that it, it, it's still complicated and the job is still difficult sometimes. 
but not comparison to what it used no. to be. Like. Well, I guess we got yeah. a lot less done in the last, like less time. Less you time. know what I mean? Yeah. Like it took long. It was an all day, longer. like yeah, building a clipping book. Yeah. yeah, 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 totally. Like getting yeah. the clips done. Get like you but, would just have an AE just doing that, just so monitoring. Monitoring used to happen at like I, I would joke, and I, it's true. Like Fleischman, thank you for raising me in my early start. But like opening the office at seven as an intern. And by 8.30, because that's when the account executives would get in, and we called them account executives because they were, you know, AEs on up. You had to have whatever industry they were responsible for, whatever client they were responsible for, you had to have different monitoring books on on their desk, on their seats, so that when they came in, they could read the news associated with their client or their client industry and be really? ready. And then you had to fax everything to headquarters. Yeah. So headquarters could look at the local media and say, here, you know, SBC, which is now AT&T, here's everything that came out in the news today so that they're ready for what happened. So the monitoring wow. that you do had to be done for us at 8.30 because that's by 8.30 people are responding. Wow. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That yeah. is so crazy. And then our boss gets, lets us get in at nine. <laughs> well, and I don't need to talk to them until like 10.30. I'm like, guys, yeah. figure out, like have coffee, do your morning, and then let's talk at 10.30. Yeah. Which is crazy. No, yeah. That yeah. happen. <laughs> Sabrina's not in my book. Well, different, she was, um, I was mom, you were dad. Yeah. His dad's strict. <laughs> so, Although in my family, my, my mom is strict. My yeah. Dad, so. so how did you guys meet? Um, so same thing we met when we were I was working in the music business and um, that's like another example of you know kind of thinking outside the box like we were just a record label but we did have access to a lot of artists and because we were a record label we also had access to a lot of media contacts Mm -hmm. and so um, you know the Audrey's client was trying to do a media tour and like an event in New York City and because we had the access to the contacts and you know in the music space it was really easy for me to book any artist a yeah. music um, a media tour because I was touring my artists all of the time yeah. so um, Hennessy brought us together yeah so we had a client nice. I think it was Hennessy and she reached out and was like hey you know do you think you could do this and I'm like yeah and then I went to my president like my the owner and I'm like hey listen I took this gig and I'm going to do this media tour for another artist and I think we also booked the venue for you guys yeah, you or did, something. you did yeah. all, the, all the logistics because um, we also owned venues in, in Manhattan at the same time so we managed a bunch of nightclubs really um, and so then we met there and I did the media tour for for them and yeah. also managed the venue and all of those things and then that was it the client you know that was the project it was over and we probably didn't talk for like two years maybe yeah. Um, at the time Audrey was living in Austin and then she moved to New York but we still didn't talk really no because you went to another firm I think I was at Latin Works and I had um, had, and it was also like I'm from Texas and so kind of small town El Paso, Texas moved to Austin to go to school graduated wanted to stay here like everybody who graduates wants to stay here and when I had worked at Latin Works and that was my third job and I met Sabrina in New York like, here's me. And I'd been to New York because I'd done internships in New York, but I had never, I don't know that I'd ever been in a limo. And sad <laughs> because it's the music industry. We were doing a media tour with like an up and coming Meninga star and a legend. And Sab had booked because it's New York and that's what you do, a yeah. limo. 
so I'm in the limo, like just waiting. And then Sab comes in like, hey, how's it going? Like, it's just like, you know, outgoing. You had really like just now, but very curly hair. Curly hair. And, and just like no barriers. There were no yeah. walls. Like Canadian nice, you know, as yeah. intense yeah. as God love her she is. <laughs> there were no walls. And so it was an immediate kind of like a working friendship. And so when I was at Latinworks and um, my boyfriend at the time, was graduating grad school in Austin and he wanted to do New York. I was like, let's go to San Francisco, but he wanted to do New York. And so I'm the one that got the job first. And I always said my, the most ambitious part of my person is my heart. Like I never wanted to climb corporate ladders and be anything. I just followed my heart and that's what took me to New York. So when I was there, um, I guess two years after I got there, I was always with Edelman and traveling to Toronto in another relationship. That sounds awful. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Serial monogamous. Serial monogamous. Also traveling um, to Toronto back and forth because my boyfriend at the time was in Toronto. And so I would go for the weekend and come back on Mondays. And I'm, I saw Sab at the airport. And we needed wow. we needed another account supervisor. So. Yeah, you guys were growing the team yeah. there. I think we started with two. Well, when I joined um, Edelman. It's like me and... There was Christina. two people, you yeah. and Christina. Um, so there was two people. And by the time we left, eight years later, there was like 30, yeah. maybe, 25, 30. Yeah. Between, well, I mean, we started to grow the team, I think, nationally. And so yeah. we had people across the country doing a variety of different projects that we were able to finagle. I don't know how. Because <laughs> with the billing structure and all of the craziness that is corporate uh, PR, it's kind of tough to... It's like building a business within a business. Right. Wow. And it was it was awesome, and I, I am very grateful to Edelman for having given us Absolutely. that um, leeway and that opportunity. Because as much as we were monitored, I we don't feel really. like we were. Like yeah, we were I kind think of as long allowed as, to do, our I, own and thing. I think that's another like I guess lesson too is, you know, as long as we were making money for the company, they kind of let us do what we wanted to do. Yeah. Um, you know, with. M- minor within reason, yeah, yeah, with my with minor oversight, yeah. Um, but we got. A, we got to do a lot of really cool things and we got to work with a lot of amazing brands. Um, and to build a really beautiful team that now is at a lot of different agencies around yeah. the country. And like, I feel like the best of the best are people that we got to work with. Right. And that Sab trained. Yay. <laughs> no, I didn't train them. Um, but yeah, and I think that's, that's the good part about working in an agency yeah. and working across a variety of clients is that you get to touch and see different agencies and different clients and see like what you like and what you don't like, you yeah. know? Um, and I think that continues to like you hone your skills in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. So if you, I feel like sometimes when I meet people that have only been in one industry or that have only been in-house, um, I feel like they're lacking a sense of like understanding how to do a couple of things, There's multitask. Some, mm-hmm. Um, how to juggle things like from you know when you're in an agency you're one day you're you're talking to one client and you're pitching one thing and the next hour you can be pitching something completely Completely different different. and you you need to become an expert in that space otherwise you can't really if you don't believe it you can't sell it to somebody else so here you are you have maybe sometimes five I mean sometimes we had six seven eight clients and you are becoming an expert in all of these areas and you're able to really quickly transition to this and that and this and all these different industries. Um, and I think and even at the, in the you, heyday with 45 people deep, you know, around the country, the roster was from like Johnson and Johnson to AstraZeneca to Starbucks or Unilever, like from, 
you know, not necessarily complicated, but disease state type medications for, you know, AIDS yeah. to CPG hairspray. Coffee. Yeah. <laughs> or hairspray. Yeah, exactly. and, and you have to be ready to sell in a Anything. way that's credible and mindful and respectful and honest and true. But you have to be ready to own that story and to share that story and to build a deck that completes that story. And so, like, there's, I, I feel like that's why I probably never leave agency world, knock on wood. Yeah, I because, mean, because it does give you that. But I, I can only well, imagine. Well, that's the difference that I see, like, on the client side. Like, so when I moved from, um, from Edelman to NASCAR, then I was in house. Um, and a lot of the people that had been in-house had been in-house all their lives. Like they had never done agency. And I realized very quickly that like you just see PR in a completely different way because yeah. you you are thinking when you're in an agency, you're like you're being pushed to come up with a strategy and then how do you measure that strategy and then how does that impact the brand and what's the ROI and all of these metrics that in when you're in-house, like you're not so it's worried cozy. about that it's a lot more about internal communications yeah. and how do you communicate what you're doing and how do you you know and sometimes I had a really hard time when I first started balancing between getting the placement like my mind was always in like getting placements getting placements getting placements because that's what you do on the agency side whereas on in the in-house side they were very much about how do we communicate to the rest of the employees this, like what we're doing? And how can we ensure that the employees don't hear, you know, af- about something after the press? And it was all about like managing kind of the communications the and the flow of the company. And if that came at the expense of a clip or a placement, they would always put the emphasis on the company and making sure everybody like in the company feels well, which is also another aspect that you don't get when you're on the agency side. Because yeah. sometimes you're like, if I'm doing all of this, like what does this person do? <laughs> yeah. you know? yes. um, yeah, yeah. And now I realize, wow, like <laughs> I, my day is full, but I'm, I'm still, I mean, I still now like in this current job, I yeah. pitch a lot of media, but before like it, you know, we didn't, we spent a lot of time creating plans and creating the strategic direction and all of the messaging and training people and all of these other things. And we barely, barely did the pitching. Um, and so sometimes it's kind of like, how do you balance the two so that you're still kind of getting the placements and the coverage, but at the same time, making sure that like everything within the company is harmonious and everybody's communicating properly and everybody up and down the chain has heard from you. Um, which is, it's difficult because in your mind, you're like, I just want the placement, you know? And then there's like three, you know, days of stuff you need to do before you can even get to the interview. But I feel like we had good trainers like Marisol. Oh yeah. She would do that. She would, um, our Unilever client that because of the team's work became our Time Warner cable client. And, and she would kind of, in the same way that Kimber does, like you kind of, you have to socialize a strategy to make sure people buy in and ask questions before you get to actually execute. Yeah. So we had some good training at least for that. Absolutely. No, I like, I feel like everybody we worked with, you know, taught us something or everybody we worked with gave us like, I mean, think of all the people that were our clients, like Mm -hmm. Howard Schultz, like, yeah, I mean, we've worked with, we've had the privilege to work with a lot of amazing executives and a lot of brands that have done really amazing things. Um, and I think that allows you to like take little bits and pieces of what worked well. And then it changes so much and so fast that sometimes you have to forget all of that and say, okay, that, you know, that was three years ago. It doesn't matter now. Now is about this and yeah. kind of identifying those trends and training your brain to think, 
about what's next and okay what's the next idea like how are we going to get to this place or or you know what are we going to come up with to like put all of this together and and create something that people are going to care about um and I think you know the other part of you know what I really like about sports is that I remember when I was working on hairspray or soap or toothpaste and you're pitching, you know, media and you're and you're like stressed out and you're, you know, trying to get this placement. And then at trying the end of the day, sexy something about like, yeah. And then like at the toothpaste. end of the day, you get home, you're like, oh, my God, I am all day talking about toothpaste. Yeah. Like this can't be my life. You know, yeah. like you get you have these moments and then you have to like pull yourself out of that and try to figure out. And I think that pushes you to be creative in a way that people who let's say you when you work in sports, there's an inherent passionate fan that's always with you. Yeah. You don't have to get anybody excited about any sport. They're just there. Yeah. So you people who've only worked in that space, they don't know what it's like to pitch toothpaste mm-hmm. or deodorant mm-hmm. or anything. Condoms. I mean, we had it Everything. all. We had every single brand yeah. you can think of. Every. I had a... Sorry, this is a sidebar. I had a high school, actually a childhood friend from elementary, middle school, and then high school call me and she's like uh i just saw your name on a press release for trojan condoms <laughs> yeah. she was a lawyer and i'm like what is my life i called manny reese because it was hispanic pr wire or whatever yeah. and i'm like do me a favor please take that release down like i have people googling me from high school that are seeing me on the- and i wasn't ashamed of the work i was just like i've done more than that and if that's what's bubbling up that's not what i that's want not, to do yeah but spanning the gamut from Trojans yeah, to technology. Yeah, but it makes you creative and it makes you resilient, yeah. you know? And I think when you, sometimes when people have these brands that, that you walk into that people are naturally passionate about, they don't know what it's like to have to push something that people, you know, like that you have to create a whole campaign around just to get noticed, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, so, But it makes you more creative. No, yeah, absolutely. So as... In PR, I feel like you always have to take care of your own and then help everybody else take care of themselves in some way. Yeah. So as a woman, as, as women, I feel like we do that out in our careers and then outside of our careers. So how do you juggle, especially you, you went through being a single mom. I don't know. Are you still a single mom? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So how did you do your job, single mom, then you're like a daughter, a, a sister or a friend, colleague. Like, how do you juggle all that? I don't know. I mean, I don't think there's like a secret sauce. I think you just have to do what you can do every day and do your best and kind of let it. How do you deal with the guilt? I don't. I well, just she posted, just posted something. something amazing last night. You need to see it. Did you see it? No, I haven't seen it. Oh yeah. Uh, but can I just talk about you for a second yes. in that way? I feel like. Um, I feel like we said we weren't going to cry. No, yeah, that's I feel why like I Cuba Gooding Jr. on Jerry Maguire. <laughs> not going to cry. Um, but, you know, you you talk about, chances are if you're in PR, this is something that felt very natural to you. So we, we probably are the good daughters in the sense that, and it's not that our sisters weren't great, it's just that we noticed details and yeah. we cared about how people felt. We cared about execution, you know, whether it's family parties or birthday gifts. And connecting people. And connecting. And and there was a sense of opportunity based on something that felt natural. Yeah. So Sab and what I've seen, because I, I do believe she's trained an industry. Like my job was easy. I got to build a team and the team built the business. And we did it together. And I was, you know, a part of it. But it wasn't me. It was all of us. But Sab, I feel like, has the level of expectation based on 
she's already done the work, right? Like, yeah. There's not a briefing book that she hasn't built. If she expects it, we used to deliver briefing books. So you guys, very easy on us. Um, we used to deliver briefing books to our clients before they got on a plane. So you would have to get it at their door so that when they got on the plane, they knew exactly what was happening. All the materials were No flowers. favor. No, no favor. <laughs> no email. No, no sometimes no we ca- sent our like, account executives in to a go car deliver. service to the person's to house go before deliver. they got on the plane. Wow. If there was a media list before we pitched, and we do this now, but like she would go and mark it up. I'm like, she's not there anymore. Do your homework. She's not there anymore. Do your homework. Or that person left and they're not here. Do your homework. And it's like, I feel like the level of input that you had as a professional is because you did the work and the level of input that you have for your son. Like Sebastian was our date, you know, all the time. (laughs) He he would come out and, and just so respectful and so kind, but he was, and I I feel like this is probably something of working with Latinas because I don't know that would have happened or multiculturals Mm. because I don't know that that would have happened if we were in a different shop. We embraced family so much that she didn't have to separate the mom Sabrina from the work life Sabrina. It yeah. was just all encompassing. And I don't feel like you made that separation. Like when you needed to leave, you left yeah. because Seb was everything. And, and I feel like it was an incredible example for me. And I think for everybody that worked with you, it was just like you took care of all the details and you don't let anything slip. And your son was your priority, but your clients never felt that you weren't available and your team never felt that you weren't available. Cause I feel like it's just like this wonder woman mom strength. And I see it in my sister and I see it in most mothers of just like there's this whole other battery pack that they get upon becoming a mom yeah. that is selfless. And so, yeah, I mean, I think like you, I, I mean, obviously I was much younger, so I had much more energy. I think <laughs> I, if I had to do it now, I don't know, like if I would be able to, but I would just like, I think I was able to bring him with me a lot. Um, so I traveled with him wherever I had a shoot. I mean, yeah. he went, he sat in the audience at Sabado Gigante. Oh, he oh. came with me one time we were shooting at Sabado Gigante. We had these like, it's like crazy things, but we had these like mayonnaise jars that everybody had to pull out from under their seats. Um, <laughs> the and first integrations, the first integrations. With Sabado Gigante. Oh, even with Univision. Hellman's? Were Hellman's. Yeah. 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 It was Hellman's. And um, like all the segments that Uni does or they did, that was... We had, Um, yeah, so we had this shipment of mayonnaise. So imagine there's like 250 seats inside the studio and everybody was supposed to get the the Hellman's. Mm -hmm. And then when we get there, they had delivered Hellman's and not Hellman's Light, or maybe it was Hellman's Light and not Hellman's. So there was like two hours before the show goes live and I'm like, oh my God. And my son was with me because I thought we were just going to go there, sit down and watch this integration happen. Like that's what I thought the extent of my role was going to be and then we get there and they the producer's like freaking out he's like sabrina i think we have the wrong mayonnaise whatever i'm like oh my god how am i going to get 200 (laughs) jars of mayonnaise right now so yeah so then i i'm like okay don't worry like i'm gonna go and we had a relationship with heb which is one of the distributors that you know so i literally went to i knew by then because we had done so many segments i knew where to purchase like where they had these specific products so i went to like seven hebs with my son at the time he was like five and he was like seeing me freak out he was like oh my god let's go so we would like we literally went to every HEB and cleaned out the shelves like cleaned out the shelves cleaned out the shelves and we got to 250 like jars of mayonnaise and came back and then you know the producers helped and we put them all under the seat and we were able to do it um but then like maybe two three years after that whenever my son saw Hellman's, he would be like oh do you remember when we had to go buy you know (laughs) jars jars of Hellman's to put under the seat Uh, it was hilarious 
But um, yeah, so I traveled with him all like he came with me or sometimes if I had to go for like a week or something, my mom would come to um, and she would stay with me in the hotel and then he would stay and I would just go work and then come back for the week for like the evening shift. Um, and then as he got older, I just brought him with me to like studio shoots or whatever. I mean, he was pretty quiet and self-sufficient and he was used to being around like the sets and things like that that we got to do. Um, and then, yeah, like whenever we had client dinners or anything, I brought him with me and like all the people in the office wow. knew him. I used to like let him sit in other people's offices if I yeah. had to do a meeting and they would entertain him. He would go from like desk to desk. Oh. And wow. yeah, it takes a village. I mean, it mm-hmm. was all of the girls that worked with us, plus like my parents, sometimes my sister, his father, like all of, you know, everybody. Um and I would like, I would still leave at five work and then I would go Get home, make later. dinner, you know, put him to bed at 830 and then I would just go back online. Like everyone knew by nine o'clock, like from nine to midnight, I would be back, you know, so I would be take a barrage of emails. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, I also think like you have to be respectful to those people as well. Like I was on my own schedule and I think, you know, people sometimes felt like, oh, like I start sending emails at nine and so everyone needs to, to work, work at, at nine. nine. Yeah. And I think it was like, you know, I explained to them like, no, like you don't have to respond at nine. You can respond the next day. But this is when I'm getting all of my emails out, yeah. you know. Um, and then I learned that you could time emails. So then I started timing them so they would you know, not go out until the next day at like seven. Yeah. And then that way they wouldn't feel like, oh my God, like my boss is emailing me at midnight, you know, even though I still would, like I would, I mean, you know, we worked really, really hard and, um, and I think like sometimes things were tough and it's hard to, it's hard to raise that many people through the ranks. And I think we, a lot of the people we started with started as interns and, you know, move their way up. And as they move their way up, we wanted to make sure that they had like all the skills necessary. And I think we taught them not only like PR, but also like finance and how to manage a budget and yeah. how to manage our internal process. Like, how do you make money off of this? Yeah. You know, like AEs um, were looking at budgets. Yeah. And we finance to reports. Wow. Um, and I think that helped them better manage the business. Yeah. Because when you understand that your hours are billed and why you need to enter your time um, and why, you know, this costs this much for this client and then we have different rates for different clients and different brands depending on different things. I think it helps you better prioritize your time. It helps you understand how the business works and how to function within that business. And then, you know, if later you want to do your own thing or if later you want to go lead a team, you have those you understand the finance of it as well. So I don't think anyone walked away from our team not understanding like not all of those elements of the business so it wasn't just about the client it was also about just like yourself and learning yourself you know becoming better at everything that you did and being able to create have skills that were transferable in everything that you do you know yeah and also another question that i had so if you're in a leadership position and as a woman you have to speak up a lot of times Hmm. how do you speak up and not have those sorry if I came off across too harsh moments and not seem like a bitch. <laughs> I'm probably the worst like, person to ask that to because I don't apologize for that. Because you, no. don't, you don't apologize for that? No. no. You just deliver it. But, yeah. but here's the thing, I guess. So I want to answer that yeah. because I feel like it's unfortunate that we have to apologize for being strong. Yeah. It's unfortunate that we have to think twice about how we say something or the energy with which we say it. We had a colleague, remember, that got called out. Um, 
at one point in her career for being aggressive. And it's like, because she was talking with her hands. And it's like, no, you just don't understand the culture and that she's part Italian and that's how Italians speak. Mm, yeah. I mean, that happens to yeah. <laughs> and, and just being misunderstood. And I feel like this is an, this is, this is an unfortunate thing about corporate America, not any one particular organization or institution. I think it's just, or the institution of corporate America is that, you know, diversity is a fairly new concept, right? The 60s, civil rights, um, American economy, the way we know it now in terms of the industrial age and what it created in terms of corporations and companies and corporate America in and of itself is fairly new. Yeah. So to have women in the ranks at senior levels is is it's a fairly it, no it's 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 also just um just being mindful of the position that we hold and what we've been asked to do and our response or responsibility in the institutions that yeah. we serve representing diversity i've always been abnormally mindful of and my dad told me this when i was a little kid like you're gonna have to run faster and jump higher than anyone else because of what you look like yeah. And it's not sad, it's not hard, it's not heavy, but just be better than everybody. Mm-hmm. And so like, all right, so I'm going to do that. I'm going to try to figure that out. And so the expectation that I think I placed on myself, the expectation that I know Sam placed on herself, like we had to be better than our peers. Yeah. Not because they weren't good, but because we knew we were going to get questioned at different levels. And by the time we said something, and I feel, I feel bad about this because I feel like we were misunderstood. It wasn't anger. We, yeah. were, we were passionate about the work. We were passionate about the teams. We were passionate about ideas. And I feel like depending on the audience that could be misperceived. And and someone said it when I was working with him and he was a really smart um, British guy. I had a crush on him. You remember. And he said, and I'm okay with that. I'll own it. I totally had a crush on him. I won't say his name, but I totally had a, it was like a work crush Yeah, because he was so smart. And I feel like I prize smarts over anything, smarts and humor. Um, which is why I like Jack Black. But anyway, um, <laughs> he said, you know, it's so unfortunate because everything you say about, you know, multiculturalism and diversity is right on. But when you say it, you're an angry brown woman. And when I say it, I just sound like I'm international and global because he has a British accent. Yeah. So everything mm-hmm. he says sounds smarter. It's like when you talk about women having to tone it down and be mindful, it's like not just do we have to do that because we're women. We have to do that because we're, ethnic women or women of color and it's just I think it's the reason that I haven't looked for a regular job because I don't want those like I'm proud of my passion I'm proud of the fact that I'm going to cry and I'm going to get heated I'm going to turn red like if I feel that I'm going to say it I don't want those barriers placed on me and I feel like you know it's not that we're always right it's just we have no nothing to apologize for for saying what we say it's just unfortunate that until until we're there we're not there so right now if it comes off across as aggressive then so be it and i always ask you guys like was i aggressive yeah you know but you shouldn't but i do because i you know there's part of me is probably reeling from my old experience yeah of you know in my reviews i got called preachy yeah well, yeah, and I think that's like, it's like a balance too, you know? It's like, I think that it's it's a misunderstanding of like interpreting passion for... Aggression. Or disrespect or something, yeah. I don't know. Um, but at the same time, you have to, you just like you want people to appreciate your nuances, I think you have to appreciate others. Definitely. And so then it's like finding that balance where like you're not offending anyone, yeah. but at the same time you're able to execute and do what you need to do. Um, and I think the best way to do that is by 
showing it, not saying it. So like making your work excellent, doing the best that you can and like letting the work speak for itself. I think that's what I've learned like over the last couple of years is like, you know, not, not talking, speaking less and doing more Um, and not like, you know, voicing your opinion and, and providing all of this kind of additional information when you can just you know understand what the task is get the idea create the idea and then execute on it and then let let that speak for your passion or your idea or your creativity like let the work come out instead um i feel like that's just worked better for me now um having been in these like very undiverse environments whether it's you know nascar sports or men or even tech i mean the tech industry is you know very white male yeah um and uh and so you kind of had to adapt to those those things Mm -hmm. as well um i think specifically when we had our own team it was all you know it was all brown women um maybe a couple of uh, yeah brown um a couple of boys uh but in that instance, I don't think it was like a boy-girl thing, like a being a female. In that instance, I do think it was, you know, a, a lack of all of us believing that everybody had the best intentions for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like, I think back to the last interview we had and how he says, like, he sees everybody, um, you know, through, love. The, yeah. through the best intentions. Yeah. And I feel like if you see people that way, then that's what you know, you'll get back. Um, And I feel like we were moving, sometimes, you know, you move very quickly and there's a lot going on and, you know, you might misinterpret something as malintentioned when it's really not. It's just like, oh, you're short or you're just busy or you're doing all these things. In key Um, learnings, I don't feel like we had, um, I mean, we we were navigating a very big industry and a very big company. And and I, I know we had a lot of mentors and some of them outside those roles, but I've, you know, the things that I learned that I would have done differently, there wasn't a fight. There was no fight to be yeah. fought. You know, I put on gloves because I felt like I had to champion or I had to rally or I had to do something, but no one was coming at me, you know, and to Sabrina's point, if we would have showed the work and, and we did in a lot of cases overshowed the work to, to make sure that we were seeing but I, I feel like maybe for your generation, you don't have to work so hard to be seen. You just let the work speak for itself. Yeah. And that's going to be the loudest voice. Because I, I, I mean, a key learning is, is that we probably, we, we took, we, you kind of lead with your own story. And so if you feel like you're the Lone Ranger and you're the one trying to carry the good torch and fight the good fight, then, then the assumption is wrongly so that everybody is against you. And, I, and I, I'll totally admit this. And I, I think I admitted it to my old boss of like, you know, I, I was fighting because I thought I had to. And and you don't have to do that. And I, I'll, I think my advice to you guys is, to Sabrina's point, let the work speak for itself. But assume, assume that you don't have to fight anymore. Yeah. Just know that you have that role. Know that you have that position. And I tell you guys all the time, like, trust your gut. I can guide you and I'll say yes. But trust your own gut. Because I'm always wrong when I if I'm telling you don't do something that you feel you need to do and if you if you deny your own instinct time and time again you're gonna lose it yeah that's true so so kind of just to wrap this up because mm-hmm. I know we have limited time what is one piece of like either a book 
a person that you look and seek for inspiration? Um, I really enjoy, I, it's weird, I, I look at men actually yeah. a lot. I really love like Mark Zuckerberg. I yeah. love everything he does. Um, I I did read Le- Lean In. I liked that book. I thought it was, you know, interesting in terms yeah, of the things that she was able to then turn around and give back. I feel like as women, we don't do that enough mm-hmm. um, in terms of helping other women succeed I feel like I've in my experience I've actually had men help me more than women which is unfortunate and yeah. every time I feel like I think a woman is going to help me they they end up not helping me yeah um and present company excluded. so well I mean I mean like you know <laughs> um I, I for for whatever reason it just never works out that way and I've yet to find like a female mentor that like has you know, kind of remained. Meanwhile, there's a, I have a ton of male mentors that I can go to anytime and I feel like they're genuinely, they're yeah. you know, interested in providing in, in information or like I have questions about whatever it is I'm doing. I, I have a pretty solid network of, um, actually, I was trying to think, actually all white men mentors, mm-hmm. um, which is also unfortunate. Um, it's not that I don't seek out other people it's just that I I just don't get the same feedback from them which is odd um but yeah I I really like to see uh, I love Howard Schultz I Mm -hmm. think he's an amazing you know what what he's been able to do with the company and just you know from I I like the rags to riches stories like uh, you know you start from nothing and you've been able to do this you build this in a really thoughtful and meaningful way and also give back um in a variety of other ways, you know, yeah. not just through your business, but philanthropically, mentoring, you know, education, a, a variety of different things. Um, and so I, I, those are kind of the people that I really like, you know, religiously follow, like everything that they do. Um, yeah, I think I, I love Paula Coelho, which she knows, but yeah. that's more just... I feel like that's more like life, spiritual, spiritual yeah. kind of guidance, existential, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And what about a song? A Your song. favorite song right now? Right now? Yeah. Um, hmm. I'm really into Selena Gomez. Is that really? Weird? Yeah. I love her. I think she's going through this thing now with just because of the whole Justin Bieber weekend thing. So I just love her lyrics. I think they're awesome. But I'm also like a tailor. Like I like a lot of different music, but I'm really into lyrics, like really hardcore into lyrics. Cool. And you, Audrey? Song wise or mentors? But well, inspiration and then song. Um, I feel like I'm in a reverse mentorship mode of like, I, I know the greats. I've seen the greats and I'm really, you know, blessed to, to have, people close and far that I can look up to, but I, I feel like where I'm getting the most of my inspiration is from you guys. Aww. Like the, the next gen, I feel like you know so much without having been exposed to so much. So it's like, what do you get to do and how can I be a part of that? So I feel like you guys are my inspiration. I'm My only mission we is to- We love you. No, I love you too. But my only inspir- like my only drive is to open as many doors as possible to let you know everyone I know and to expose you to as much as I can and let you go forward and do what you can do. I, I think um, Sab and I both read Palo Colo and we have different interpretations of the ends of books, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah. She reads them in English or in Spanish. I read them in English and then we're like, what? That's not how it happened. <laughs> um, and there's still debates going on to the day. But I, I feel like... Um, Inspiration is everywhere if you're looking for it. Yeah. And everyone. 
no matter education level or success level, like your parents, your family members, your friends, your colleagues that have become family. In terms of music, I'm a little bit of an indie indie person. Yeah. So I like a lot of random music. Um, but lately, I, I feel like Jim James. Jim James? Yeah. My morning jacket. But I just saw him in concert, so I'm a little uh, starstruck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. Well, thank you so much, ladies. Thank you, guys. This is so good. So thank this you. is another episode, so be on the lookout for another one. Thank Thanks. you. Yeah, part two. Yeah. yeah, part two. Part two, for sure. Right. Bye. Bye. We'll call the part two red wine. <laughs> <laughs>